pride is an issue that I think we have all dealt with at some point in our lives. And so today we look at this idea of pride and how it can put these blinders on us so much so that we don't see it when we are headed down a dangerous path. So we're going to look at that. And then also this concept of said, which is God's love for us and how we see that throughout the Old Testament and in our lives today. I pray this episode is a blessing to you. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what he says in his word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach. And I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with him, and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out, and I just wanted a way to understand his will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures, as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, before we get into today's episode, I have a quick word. I know that you have been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. I know, I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus, how he calls them, how he encourages them, how he equips them. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, helping you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I also include a lot of cultural and historical information that makes these familiar passages of scripture really come alive. This is a great study to do with maybe your teen girls or a group of friends from church, and it will really help you gain confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. Again, head to shehears.org and you can find the Bible study on the resources page. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are reading through Psalm 36. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed, he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find a refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. Psalm 36 does feel like a pretty straightforward psalm, but there's a couple things I want to point out as we reflect on this reading. 
the genre of this psalm is a, a bit of elusive. Sometimes we know right off the bat something is a hymn or a lament psalm or a wisdom psalm. This kind of does a little bit of everything in the sense that there's some wisdom in the beginning part. There's a little bit of a hymn in the middle and a lament at the end. Um, and I think that's important to note that even though we kind of have this idea of how we interpret these psalms, the Psalms were written by David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they don't necessarily go by our prescribed way of looking at things. And that's okay. We don't have to have everything figured out and everything understood. But I am saying that just so we understand that there's a little bit of all three of these things as we're reading. What we see in the Psalm is that creation is really serving as the framework for the love of God. And one of the, the themes that we're going to talk about today is how flattery could be like blinders to your own sin. And I think it's important to also point out that the world that the Psalms, as we've been seeing, the world that the Psalms is, is really a vicious world at that time of history. And there was lots of um, political and personal evil. There was lots of war. There's lots of suffering of, of the innocent that really felt like it had no justice done at that point. And in Psalm 35, there was the innocence of, of King David, where he was being victimized by a, a bunch of different kinds of people that really had no sense of justice. And then in Psalm 36, we see that world of injustice and evil, really. And something astonishing is happening in the midst of that. God is revealing his covenant love to Israel and is offering this fountain of life to kind of meet that thirst for him in in order to have peace in the middle of that chaos. And it was a dark time in Israel's history, and we still see God working on behalf of his people. I also want to talk about this word that we see in Psalm 36, and we see it throughout the Psalms. It's the word hesed. It's a, it's a word that means God's love. And so it's a noun, of course, and it occurs 245 times in the Old Testament, but like half of those, 127 of them are in the Psalms. And so it's a term that is uh, typically translated in the older versions, like the King James Version, as mercy or loving kindness. Um, translation is sometimes hard when you're going between different languages. Uh, in, the, in the ESV, it is sometimes translated as steadfast love. And then usually in the NIV, I think it is, it's called unfailing love or just love. But this idea of said love, God's love, it's an attribute of God that really defines his character, and it's also defining his relationship to Israel and then also the world. And so what we see here is God's said, God's love up against this evil, which is revealing honestly on its own, but it's showing that the sins of the father, what we, what we read in the Old Testament is that the sins of the father they may fall to the third and fourth generation. But in contrast to that, the hesed, God's love, is shown to thousands of generations. So while evil would go to three to four generations deep, God's love, which trumps evil, would go to thousands of generations. For those, what does the scripture say? Who love me and keep my commandments. We see that in a couple chapters back. And in Exodus. So the backdrop of God's love has said is throughout Psalm 36. So when we're reading about God's love, it's has said, it's this idea that God's redemption 
through his love that will redeem for thousands of generations. There's a great hope there that I didn't want you to miss. And then there's lots of allusion to the creator of creator God of um, Genesis chapter one. And so this creator who brings the world into existence and then he sustains it by his love. That's the drop the backdrop that we're reading Psalm 36 with. And so I don't want you to miss that because there's a couple hard spots in here, but remember that it's through the context of God's love. I want to spend a little bit of time on verses two through four. Let me read it. It says, for in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed, he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. This idea here is something that I think we all struggle with from time to time. And it's this idea of flattery. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. And so verse 2, again, is sometimes hard to translate. But the way that the scholars pretty much... Uh, translate this whole idea. Like sometimes you can't translate word for word. You have to translate idea for idea. And so the way that that's translated is it's this idea of flattering themselves to the extent that they cannot even recognize their own flaws or their own sin so that they can even deal with it or hate it or recognize it even as, as a flaw. And so as verse three explains, the words of their mouth are wicked and deceitful. And so the process of becoming wicked and deceitful starts with self-deception and, and it starts with their words that eventually perverts their actions. And so when it says they fail to act wisely or do good, it's essentially this life that has totally bent over into this wicked way of thinking when it talks about being on their beds, a sinful course, the, the final disposition of their hearts is evil but it started with this thought process of pride and flattering themselves. And I, I, I firmly believe that none of us start off with this intention to become evil, especially if you were a believer. Um, a lot of times you see this with some of the fallen mega church pastors we've seen over the last couple of years. I do believe that a lot of them start off with really good intentions, but it's the seed of pride that gets in there. It's this flattery that they allow to really be blinders. So they can't even see their sin or their shortcomings to, to be humble enough to surrender to God in obedience. They can't even get to that place because they have these blinders on. And so I think the caution here is that how you perceive yourself is critical to your spiritual well-being. And that can go both ways. It can be an inflated view of yourself or a deflated view of yourself. So because there's spiritual implications to both. If we have a creator God who created you in his image, having a deflated sense of yourself or like a, a you know, like a, oh, I'm too, I'm not worthy and, and that kind of mentality, that has a, a spiritual implication because you're not trusting the the image of God that he made you in. And then the flip side of that is this inflated sense of yourself. It denies God's hand in getting you to where you're at. And so the matter here that it's talking about is that people that flatter themselves get to a place where they cannot even recognize their own sin. And if you can't recognize your sin, you can't hate it. The flattery, the pride that's there, it covers it up. And so 
Sometimes there's this expression of pride. Sometimes it's an overinflated view of yourself. Sometimes, um, you know, we even see this going back to Genesis 3, where that original sin was. When Adam was confronted, he blamed Eve. And then, of course, Eve blamed the serpent. It's been around for a long time, but we have to guard against it. We have to recognize it. We have to guard against it because... Whether the problem of, of pride in a person is the inability to detect his or her sin or just the ability to um, or the inability to acknowledge it, those are two different stages, but each of them have spiritual consequences and it represents the enemy's way of getting in there to deceive you. And and then what happens? What have we seen over and over again with these megachurch pastors or even local pastors that have fallen? It has really started with this seed of pride. And, and that pride puts blinders on to the point where the enemy is able to get in there and work. So we want to be really, really careful. We want to make sure that we are in a position where there are other people around us that can hold us accountable, that can call us out when our sin is blatant and um, remind us and and um, not to knock us down, but to lovingly hold us accountable and uh, making sure that there are people in our lives that not just hold us accountable, but that we respect enough to listen, even when we can't see it ourselves, because the enemy will do whatever he can to kind of keep you in this place of not recognizing it until it's too late. So I think that's an important point to, to, to point out because I think all of us at some point in our lives struggle either with the inflated or the deflated sense. Let's see, verse five, let me read that. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. So the beginning of this stanza is the section in verse five and six that we see four nouns that I want you to pay attention to. So there's love, the hesed, that that I started off talking about, faithfulness, emunah, righteousness, tzedeka, I can't ever pronounce that, and justice, mishpat. So what the psalmist would say is that the mountains are established on this great deep where the entire world is founded upon these four things, love, faithfulness, righteousness, and justice. And we see that theme throughout the Psalms in Psalm 57 and then again in Psalm 89. So the extent of God's love is measured by the altitude of the heavens. And so this created world, of course, we cannot avoid this idea of the creator who sustains this world. And the way he does that is through love. And so the phrase, your faithfulness to the skies, is kind of parallel to your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. And that gives us this picture of God's great, 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 great love. And again, that's how God sustains his creation is through his love. Verse 8 they feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. I want to point this out because sometimes that's kind of a weird word for us, your river of delights. But the word abundance here is literally translated as like the abundance of your house. It's the oil or the fat that was used for everything in that culture, whether it was uh, light or food or lots of different uses they had for it. But to have an abundance of oil or fat, it rep represented abundance in your household. And so this idea of also drinking from God's river is an allusion back again to Genesis chapter two, 
where it's a river that's watering the garden that flowed from Eden. And so the word translated as delights is a word that's derived from the Hebrew word for Eden. So we, again, see the pleasures of the Garden of Eden, the abundance of Eden, the abundance of your house. It's referring back to the creator, the creator who sustains us because of his great love for us. And then again, in verse nine, it talks about the fountain of life, the light. We see your light. These words of like, Light and life is, of course, just this illusion of how God continues to sustain us through his presence and through his provision. I I love that so much. And so we can all have times where we flatter ourselves to the point where we don't see our own sinful nature or we can feel smug and we can compare ourselves to the people of the world. But essentially, we have to recognize that the only reason we have any kind of abundance, whether that is in our career or that is in our household or that is in our bank accounts or that is in our friendships or our relationships, the only reason we have those is because of said, because of God's love, because the way that he creates and sustains and sustains us through his great love. And so I think that perspective will help guard us against that pride and that flattery that tends to creep up if we're not careful. So I think what I want to leave you with before we read this again is this idea that understanding if God is the primary first love in our lives. And I don't know about you, like I, I don't... I don't often struggle with the pride thing. If anything, I struggle with the inadequacy thing. And I spent a lot of years, I think a lot of us do, with this sense of imposter syndrome. Like, what am I even doing in this room? Why did somebody give me a microphone? If they really knew who I was and the thoughts I had on the inside of my brain, they would know how like ill-prepared I am for this role or, or whatever it is. But I have to recognize that It is God who puts us in the places of authority and position, and it is God who sustains us through his great love. It is not anything that we do or don't do. It's not anything that we say or don't say. And and of course, yes, we need to be prepared and we need to take seriously the opportunities that God gives us. But if God wants you in a certain place, he's going to put you there. I, I, I was actually having a conversation with my husband about this because Sometimes I feel like there have been times in my life where I I worry about things, making sure that I'm making the right decisions, and I spend a lot of time thinking about that. But then yet there's been other times where I have made the wrong decision and God continues to open that door. And so there's been two or three different times in my life where an opportunity has arose and I, either in my selfishness or my ignorance or even in my insecurity, I've said no to that. And then... It circles back around and God says, are you sure? And he gives me a second chance. And sometimes in my own life, it's even been the third time before I recognize it as an opportunity from God. And my husband and I were talking about this because he had a similar situation where he was, he had said no to a particular job offer. And then they kind of came back around again. And, and he was really struggling with like, okay, should I, because he was really happy where, where he was at currently. And should I take this new role? And yet it was so funny because he had turned it down already. And yet this time we knew that this was the season that God was calling him into stepping up into this new role of leadership. And that has been a persistent experience to the point where I'm like, you know what, 
if God ordains it, nothing I do is going to mess it up in the sense that like, I'm not sinning or anything like that. But even just my thought process of understanding how God works. And I love that because there's this idea of Hesed, God's love, that even in his grace and his love for me, when I have messed things up or potentially messed things up, he still works it out for his good. And I'm very, very, very firm in my belief that the doors that God opens, no man can shut. And the doors that God shuts, no man can open. And so perhaps that's a little bit of um, peace that we can have in, in the midst of our decision making. But I want to get back to this idea of reflecting on God's standard for our lives and the reality that none of us is innocent. None of us is immune to becoming prideful, even in the midst of God's great love for us. Look at Adam and Eve. They were in this ideal, beautiful situation where they had all of their needs met emotionally, spiritually, physically, and they still fell to this sin of pride. None of us are immune from it. So how can we prevent that from taking over? I think there's a couple questions that I'm just going to ask for you to reflect upon as you're thinking about this throughout your day today. Number one, is the Lord the first love of your life? And what do I mean by first love? Um, what is the first thought you have in the morning? What is the first prayer that's in your heart or the first um, moment of your day? Are you checking your phone or are you praying? And and I I have to confess that has been something I've struggled with because I I'm connected to my phone all the time between the podcast and um, the She Hears Ministry and my Children of the Nations Ministry or my children. I'm constantly on my phone, and I have been very tempted. Uh, to just pick up that phone as, as soon, even in the middle of the night, if I wake up to go to the bathroom or something and, and giving that the first priority of my life. And I've recently had to stop and take a step back and say, okay, God, before my heat, feet hit the floor, before I even open my eyes, I give this day to you. I hand this over to you. Use me as your vessel. Do with me what you want me to do. And just even that simple one minute prayer is enough to shift my mind and shift my heart into this place of reminding myself of my first love before my phone or before even, you know, getting breakfast for the kids or anything like that. So what is the first love of your life? The second question I would ask you, is are you giving obediently and sacrificially to the work of God around you? And maybe that means financially, maybe that means through your time. Are you serving him sacrificially to the work that he's doing around you? Because as believers, we are all called to serve. If you don't believe that, go back and look at some of my spiritual disciplines material we did this past summer where we have this uh, whole week on service. But but as believers, and I'm not saying quit your job and become a pastor full time. I'm saying serving where you're at. Serving your circle of influence. Ministering to the people that God has given you stewardship over. Are you giving obediently and sacrificially to the work of God, either with your time or your talent or your money. The third question I would ask is, do you love and serve those around you, even if they're not believers? And I think this is a hard one. This is a hard one for me because I work in a Christian ministry. I serve in a Christian church. My kids go to Christian school. And so um, I'm enmeshed in this area of life. However, there's, I've been praying about having opportunities to serve people that don't know Jesus. And for me, that means, um, serving or talking to, or 
ministering to people out in the community when I'm, you know, picking up a coffee or going to the grocery store. I have to be really intentional about that. Or maybe it's the local food pantry or the pregnancy center or, you know, somebody outside of my regular circle of influence. I have to be intentional about that. For you, maybe it's at the workplace. Maybe it's a lot easier or or at school or wherever you're at. But how are we loving and serving those that don't yet know Jesus? And This one is a little bit deeper, and this is the one I think we're going to end with, is have you forgiven those who have hurt you? And I know that forgiveness is hard sometimes, and I wish that there was this magic button where we could just hit the forgiveness button and and we have forgiven, and then it would be permanent. Because I used to think that the choice to forgive, it was only the choice, but what I'm learning is that forgiveness is a process and it's a series of choices. And there are things in my life or people in my life I thought I had forgiven, but then something will come up and I realize I still hold some bitterness there or I'm still holding some pain there. And it doesn't mean that when you forgive somebody that you have to be in relationship with them. But what it does mean is that you have given that hurt and that pain over to the Holy Spirit to deal with. And so if God is our number one priority in our lives, we will be obedient in this act of forgiving those that have hurt us. That's a hard one, I know. But I want to sit there and I want that to sit with you today as you go throughout your day because I want this act of forgiving other people to be a response to hesed, to God's love in our lives. Because as the creator and sustainer of all things, that is something he calls us to do. And, And if we don't do it, it puts a barrier between us and him. And I know you don't want that. So given that insight, I'm going to go ahead and reread Psalm 36. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. The words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed, he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course, and he does not reject what is wrong. Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your justice like the deep, great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find a refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Continue your love to those who know you, your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, throw down, not able to rise. God, we thank you for this call to guard our hearts against flattery and pride. Lord God, help us to instead exchange those for desire to be obedient to you in all things, in all aspects of our lives and our relationship to you. God, I thank you for this idea of said and this idea of this deep love that we have where you continue to pursue us in relationship. God, I thank you for the way that you pursued Israel and you showed great love for them in the midst of a dark season. God, I pray that you would continue to do that for us in the middle of the darkness of this culture and this 
this world that we live in. God, would your love continue to permeate our hearts that would drive us to our knees, that that we would not have blinders on of flattery or pride, but instead we would come to you with a humble posture of our heart to say, God, show me, show me what you have for me today. And then Lord God, help us to be obedient to those things as you point them out. God, I thank you for my friends today that are seeking you. And Lord, we know that your word says that when we seek you, we will find you. So I thank you for your presence in the lives of my friends today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey friends, I want to let you know about a couple things that are in the shop in case you are looking for some resources. A couple people have asked what happens after I finish the She Hears Bible Study. In the She Hears shop, which if you go to shehears.org and you click on the section that says resources, I have a bunch of different resources there for you. There's a couple digital products. There is some note-taking and journaling Bibles, which if you've done the She Hears Bible study, you will have learned the color method and you can use the color method right in those Bibles. And then there's also an ESV study Bible that has lots of notes and maps and things to help explain to you how to make the scriptures relevant to your everyday life. So I hope that those are all a blessing to you. And also don't forget about our Christian Women's Daily Bible Study group on Facebook. That is a free community to help you just be accountable or to get your questions answered or to ask for prayer. All of those are resources available to you. I pray that they're a blessing. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call on your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.